Hope you're well, and I hope that you have the Word of God with you. We're in Psalm 90, as our pastor has read to us already once here. It's a, it's a, it's a weighty psalm for me. And when I say weighty, as I was studying through it this week, uh, I also was studying under it. Uh, that is the, the weight and the message that was going on, and um, that'll come out in, in different places in the psalm. But um, I see throughout the entire psalm testimony of who God is, who, what his character is, what he is like. And uh, I've divided the psalm into three parts, but it could be argued that it, it is a, a singularity, that is a whole speaking of nothing but the character of God. It, it is certainly from beginning to end Godward directed, and uh, we'll see that. But, but if uh, I call upon a thesis, it would be something like this. To live a thoughtful, joy-filled, and biblical life, a person needs to embrace the character of God, the transitory nature of man, and pray for the grace of the Almighty. So you see those three parts. To, to see the very character and embrace the very character of God, to understand that in juxtaposition to the... The, the status, if you will, the nature of man. And then, well, the title of it says, A Prayer of Moses. So eventually we do get to a prayer. And by the way, that title calls to our mind the uniqueness of this particular psalm. You know, many of the psalms written by David, others Asaph, some of the singers, different places. But this is the only psalm that we have from Moses. And because it's from Moses, chronologically speaking, then it makes it the oldest psalm that we have in the Psalter. Some people like to place it actually between book 3 and book 4 because as it stands in our Bible, it's the first psalm of book 4. But because of its uniqueness, want to try and find a parentheses in there. But it is the, the song of Moses, the psalm. It's a prayer that he's uh, bringing out for us. And um, you should know... You should know where this fits in in the life of Moses. And then we'll pray together. Um, <clears throat> Moses' life can be divided, generally speaking, into three even parts of 40 years each. He spent the first 40 years of his life in Pharaoh's household and growing up there. Then the conflict with the slave, you know, and he was exiled. And he spent the next 40 years of his life as a shepherd in the land of Midian in the house of Jethro. And then God called him, as you know, back to Egypt to lead the children out. And when he led them out, he spent approximately another 40 years with them. Now, this psalm is probably written toward the end of that third 40-year period. And so he's been through quite a bit and many things that we want to unfold in this time together. But let's, let's do what Moses does here. Let's depend upon God or another word of prayer, would you? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you so much that it is fully sufficient and powerful to do your work through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I thank you that we can depend upon you and depend upon this word to accomplish all your good purpose. So as we all sit here, sit here under your word, I pray have your way in our hearts that we may be fully devoted to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, a, a, psalm, a song of Moses uh, demands at least some level of context. What's going on in his life? Where has he been? Of course, he led the children of Israel out. They traveled to bitter waters that were changed. They received manna in the wilderness. They've gone down to the foot of Mount Sinai. From Sinai, God said, go up and take the land that I've given you. So they go up to Kadesh Barnea. They arrive there at about Numbers 13, where they sent out the spies, sending out the spies to go in to survey the area. And they came back and... Ten spies said, we can't do this. Ten spies said, these people look like giants compared to us. We're, we're, like, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And two, Joshua and Caleb said, wait a minute. We need to believe God. We need to uh, trust that God will actually do what he says he will do. And, um, and God had an interesting response. You know what God did? God said, Moses, stand back. This is Buzz paraphrase. You'll have to look it up. You like this, don't you? Moses, stand back. I'm going to wipe these people off the planet. I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. Now, here's a place where um, great fear for sure, but after God said he was going to wipe them off the planet, he said, and now... I'll make you a great nation. Now, when I say I sat under the weight of this psalm this week, I have to say to you, you just, you know, you, I, I try and be transparent. I mean, most of the time it's just me, like 99.9% .9 of the time, it's just me and God. And I'm thinking to myself, God says, stand back, I'm going to wipe these people off the face of the planet, and I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm like... I don't know, you know, I'd be the top of the pyramid. I'd be, you know, the number one guy. I'd be bigger than Abraham when he comes. And Moses didn't do that. You know what Moses did? He said, oh God, oh God, don't do that. Now, parentheses, stay with me here for just a second. A big part of my exposition of Psalm 90 is reminiscing in my own mind the interactions of Moses and God. You, re you remember God told Moses and the children of Israel to build this tent and put it in the midst of all of the tribes and you come in here and I'll talk to you face to face. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in some of those conversations face to face Moses and God and how intimate that relationship was so I, I th that was the parentheses I get back to the to the context now and I'm envisioning Moses saying to God please don't do that that to me is boldness and, and, and 
It just testifies of this intimate relationship. And God said back to Moses, all right. In fact, here's what he does say. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live, and as all of the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of them who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, none of them shall see the land that I have given to their fathers. None of this generation will enter into the land. All of them will pass away during this time together. Now think about that for a second. There are different stats, different scholars trying to come up with exactly how many people we're talking about. At one place we know we've got 600,000 fighting men. We add wives and children. We do different things or we talk about how many families that the scriptures testify that left Egypt. And figures are all over the map, really. But a conservative settled figure would be somewhere between maybe two and three million people. Two and three million people wandering around in the wilderness to be fed and taken care of. But they shall not see the land. They'll die in the wilderness. If you do the math, you take 40 years, 365, do some things like that, you're talking about 70 funerals every day. Somewhere in that neighborhood. 60, 70, maybe as much as 80 funerals every single day. Every single day, they have testimonies of their disobedience, of their unbelief in believing that God has given them a lamb. And they see this each and every day as they wander around in the wilderness. I, um, I enjoy uh, something that's kind of quirky. I think maybe it's quirky. I don't know. Maybe you enjoy it too. I enjoy talking to senior adults. Now I have to smile about that now because officially I'm there. I don't feel it. How did this happen, huh? I mean, you know, I don't... Well, anyway, I am. But I still like speaking to senior adults. I spoke to my father in the faith this, this week. He's 94 years old. 90, see, 94, 95. 95 now. And uh, unfortunately, a couple of weeks ago, he fell and broke his hip. And so he's recovering. But um, I called him up. I was sitting on the back porch at that time of uh, my house and reading through Psalm 90. And I called him up. And, and I said, Brother Bill... I was just sitting here thinking about you. We haven't talked in a while, and I'm reading Psalm 90. He says, oh, brother. This is great. Oh, brother Buzz. Tell me about Psalm 90. Just as sharp as he could be. I said, well, it's, he tells us to number our day. Oh, we need to number. I love talking to people who have journeyed. I, I used to like talking to my grandfather. And I wanted to know from my grandfather what he could tell me about his father. 
he didn't tell me too many good things, actually, but, but his, his father taught him the, the, the block masonry trade. Back in those days, he had to be apprenticed, and he was an apprentice under his father, so he worked for his father. Maybe that was some of the hard times, but they built many of the buildings in Washington, D.C., uh, marble and all kinds of stone that they did. And I love listening to those stories. You say, well, what, what are you saying? I, I cannot think of a more fascinating personality and, and thoughts than to sit down and have a conversation with Moses. You think about that? I mean, there were some rough stories there, you know. The, the grumblings, yeah, well, probably the squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? We don't, but, you know, how did you feel when when you crossed over on that dry land. Wow, what was it? I mean, were you really terrified at the top of Mount Sinai and talking to God and thunder and lightning and things going on? And, 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 and tell me about some of those you know, face-to-face conversations with, with God in the tabernacle. Be, I just would be fascinated. Well, you know what? In a, in a limited fashion, we can do that. We can, do, we can ask Moses some things. In fact, that's what he's doing right here. In this psalm, he's telling us about some of his interactions, maybe not directly like that, but you can, you can see that. Let's dive in. Let's take a look. Look at, look at, and what I want you to do, I don't want you to forget, even through the course of this, that you've got lenses on like the children of Israel always wandering in the wilderness. And verse 1 just highlights that right away. Take a look. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Now, if you've got those lenses on, that's just not a, a, a nice little trite phrase of poetry going on there. Lord, you've been our dwelling place. Oh, wait a minute. You're talking about a group of people who haven't had a mailing address in 40 years. And it makes the statement all that more powerful. No, we haven't stayed in one place. Every time the, the cloud raises up in day, we pack up everything we have and we follow that cloud. And a pillar of uh, fire by night, we, we follow that until it comes down and then we, we camp again and then we move again and we camp and move again. I know what that's like. Pastor, we know what that's like. No, we yeah, we're moving. You are our dwelling place. I don't know. Sandy and I have moved probably about 25 times. And you know what we've found in every place that we've moved? God. God. He's our dwelling place. Not the physical location. It's not 1301 go away. <laughs> Where we live today. God is always our dwelling place. And not only that, but the other part of the verse because if he wrote this toward the end of their journeys, he's not speaking to the same generation that he spoke to at the very outset. And he says, you are a dwelling place throughout all generations. You newbies on the block? <laughs> no, he doesn't talk that way. But you new generation? God is our dwelling place in this generation, and he'll be our dwelling place in the next generation as well. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. 
What is Moses doing? Moses right here is clearly declaring the character of God. He's declaring the character of God. He's just saying to all who are around, God, you're our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were formed, you brought them forth. Or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. From as far that way, as far that way. You know, have you noticed the news this week on the, on the telescope? You seen those pictures? I mean, they're really dramatic. They're unbelievable. And, and what? We're now seeing, what, 290 million light years away? It takes that long for the light from them to get to us? I mean, it's just mind-boggling. And, and scientists are together. And you know what they're saying? I mean, if you watch the news, you know. Now we can find out what? Now we can find out how it all started. We can find out now how, how, how the universe all began. And I say, hold the phone, folks. Because they're saying, you know, all this God stuff, you know, not so much. And I do 180 degrees in the opposite direction. This testifies right here that God is God from everlasting that way to everlasting that way and I would declare to you everlasting that way he has created it all in, instead of limiting in some fashion this scientific discovery it just causes me to wow it is just amazing that he has named every single one of them in the heavens you know, what we're about to find out in the next verse is basically this. This is what we're about to find out in the next verse because this is what this, this one says. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God and I am not. You are God and we are not. Look at the next verse in God's character as he declares it. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You return. Now, it's interesting. It's probably a citation. Most everybody agrees. A citation back to Genesis 3 in the fall. You were created out of what? You were created out of the dust, and to the dust you shall return. And so he says... You return man to the dust and return, O children of man. Interesting, that last man in that part of the verse, of verse 3, is the Hebrew word Adam. Some of your Bibles probably have a citation down at the bottom over in a margin that, that says some people would translate this as Adam. You return man to dust. Well, that was Adam in Genesis chapter 3 saying it to him. Return, O children of Adam. And it, it backs it up a little bit further in the next line. For a thousand years in your sight. How long, how long did Adam live? Adam lived over 900, almost breaching on a thousand years. So he's, he's saying, well, he didn't say this, but follow me. Adam, he was the first guy, right? Where's Adam today? 
I don't care if he lives for a thousand years. It's like that. So in the next few verses, four times he will emphasize through some metaphors of the fact that he is God, not just that he is God, he's eternal God, but we are transitory man. We're here for a while, and then we're gone. Look at the latter part of verse 4. Yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. As a watch in the night, that's the first one. Now, depending on what culture and what time you're, you're talking about, a watch in the night could be three or four hours. It's when the soldiers stood on the wall of the, of the, uh, the encampment, or the, the sailors stood on the deck of a ship, and he had a watch. And he was assigned to stay there for three or four hours. Then someone else would come in. And someone else after him. But it's like a watch in a night. They come and they go. They come and they go. Metaphor number one. No, metaphor number two. Look down. You sweep them away as with a flood. If you've ever been in the Middle East, you know that there are places of wadis. Wadis. A wadi is a dried up riverbed. And it stays that way throughout a large part of the time. Uh, a large part of the year. But then there's a season of rain. And when rain hits, those hard, crusty, often rocky, dried up river, riverbeds can become a flood, a rushing flood, and wipe out everything in its path. Just like a flood that comes rushing through. And then it's gone, tearing up everything along the way. Or, number three, like a dream. Like a dream. Hmm. You know how long you dream? I mean, when you have a dream and you're thinking about that, you, you may, may be on a journey someplace or crazy things happen in dreams. And dreams do vary in length. But when you think about it and you can remember it, the truth is, is a dream is like this little scene, click, that little scene there. They change really quickly that don't make any sense from this scene to that scene. Nip, nip. And at the end of the day, even a, a dream that could seem as long as a day takes less than three to seven seconds. Flash, 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 flash. The only time your dream, the only, to get this, the only time your dream is almost in real time is when there's conversation. Did you know that? The only time your dream is almost in real time is when somebody's talking to somebody. It takes about the same amount of time. But then in the morning, oh, I had a crazy dream last night. And you want to tell him about it. Well, let me tell you. I don't know. I was with a group of people, but then I wasn't there. Ah, oh, forget it. I can't remember it. And it's gone. Dreams come and go. But lastly, it's like the grass is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening, it fades and withers. Well, I am telling you right now. I know about this. I have to take care of almost two acres now. I have to mow it myself and fertilize it myself and these kinds of things. Sometimes I can cut the grass one day and I'll be standing there with Sandy. We'll look out the, the back porch and we'll look. I, I declare I can see that grass growing. But I just got it yesterday. But it's because of the water that gets on it. You know, it's just the opposite when the water doesn't get on it. It can be green in the morning because of the dew, but at night we've got these brown patches here and there and big portions of brown. 
because it just it doesn't last. Moses said, like all of these, like all of these metaphors that are going through here, we're here today and we're gone tomorrow. And when I was a kid, I uh, we had a 7-Eleven store about oh maybe a hundred yards away from where our house was. It wasn't very far. And, uh, and I would do some work for the manager of the 7-Eleven when I was like, oh, as young as 11, 12 years old. And then when I became 13 and 14, I actually got a job there. But at the beginning, uh, I would do different tasks. I'd fill up the bags of ice or, or I'd fill the, the cooler. Back in those days, folks, the cooler that held drinks, soft drinks, Cokes, etc., actually sat out in front of the store. And it was an ice box. You throw, slide open the thing, and you, you fill it up with, with drinks. So I would go in the back, I'd get drinks, and I'd come out, and I'd fill it up for him. And, of course, I, I wasn't a paid employee, so he would pay me, and he would give me a drink. He'd give me a drink. And I always wanted an RC Cola. Now, you, you think, well, you just really loved RC Cola. No, my sin nature comes out even better than that. You see, RC Cola, during those days, was the only one that was 16 ounces. Everything, knee-high was 12 ounces. You know, those orange drinks and root beer, things like that. And Cokes, like these little things, like six or eight ounces. Forget that. I want an RC Cola, full 16 ounces. And it'd be hot or whatever, and I'd pop the top on that thing, and Look, 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 you know, first few swallows. Just, man, that's some good stuff right there. But then I look at that bottle. Oh, man, it's, it's half empty already. And I begin to think, whew, I better, I better slow down a little bit here and take some value in this. I, I take a few more swallows, and I'm not lying. I'd get down to about somewhere in this neighborhood of, of RC Cola left in that. And I would begin to think, oh boy, it's almost gone. It's going. And the way I would take those last drinks, you know, I'd slow down, no guzzling now. A little sip, a little bit more than a sip. Sips didn't do it for me. You know, whatever the equivalent of three or four sips, that's what it would be. But eventually what would happen? It'd be the last one. It's gone. It's gone. There's no more. Now, I get two cents for the bottle, but there's no more Coke. It's all gone. wonder where we are in our life today. It goes by so very, very quickly. So very quickly. But this is where he shifts gears and he changes from declaring the character of God to describing the state of man in that process. Look at verse 7. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath. See, he switched. We now. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. And you can begin to see... You can begin to feel, I hope, the weight of sitting under this psalm as I studied it during the week and see these testimonies. You, you brought an end by your anger. 
Do you know that story about Moses and the children of Israel? Remember I said I wanted you to keep your lenses on. They came out of, they came out of Egypt and right away the people begin to grumble. Oh, you brought us out here so that we would thirst to death. Why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? And God went away and talked, excuse me, Moses went away and talked to God. And God said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to the rock and I want you to strike it. And when you do that, water will come forth and you'll drink. Oh, wow, that's great. And that, that you can find in, in uh, Exodus 17. You read another story that sounds similar, but it's about 35, 36, maybe 38 years later. At Kadesh in Numbers 20. A different generation. And the people are coming out there, and you know what they're saying? If you look at the words, it's almost identical to what happened 38 years before that. Oh, you brought us out here. We're going to thirst to death. And God said to Moses, Moses, what I want you to do is I want you to go speak to that rock, and it'll pour forth. And Moses is, and he goes up to the rock, and he takes his staff, and he hits it twice. And out comes water. God's grace still comes out, but he looks at Moses and he says, because you have disobeyed me, you too will not enter the land. You too will not enter the land that I have promised to the fathers. Wow. Wow. Now this is a, this is a place that just shows my inability to do even what Moses was doing because I got to tell you, Think about what the man has been through. I mean, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in Tendish, 40 years with these grumbling, quarrelsome, disobedient, rebellious people. And just because I strike the thing twice, I'm not going in. And you know what God said to him? You have not regarded my holiness. You have no regard for my holiness. Now there's much more to that and it's another sermon I'd love to do it but we have a members meeting. You have not regarded my holiness. You have broken a picture that I have established to show my character and you. Pressing on. You have set our iniquity. You know, is there anybody on the planet that knows and feels the anger of God more than Moses? And yet, you have brought an end by your anger. Your wrath is dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. God knows. Verse 9, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring, oh, I know you're doing well, I'm glad I'm a New Testament Christian here. I sure am glad of Romans 8.1. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, praise the Lord for that promise. There is no ultimate condemnation. We will not suffer the wrath of God. You are exactly right. But do not believe for one moment that God is somehow just glossing over our sins. That somehow he just, oh, well, that's the way they are, and he turns. He is angry with them, and he knows the secret sins. And it is not pleasing to him. 
These years of our life in verse 10 are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Isn't that interesting? You talk to a senior adult. Okay, you can talk to me. And I'll tell you the testimony. Days are going by so fast. So, so very fast. In fact, I have thought about this even, even outside of reading Psalm 90. I've, I think of my grandchildren and relationship with my wife and the things that I'm going through. And wow, you know, I, I've been gone from this place three years. Three years. Boom. Where did the time go? It, it goes by so quickly. So very, have you ever thought this? Come on now, this is, this is maybe the only original insight I have today. Everything else is from somebody else. No, listen, have you ever thought about this? Why are we like that? I mean, it doesn't have to be. It could be the opposite. It could be as you get older and older and older that the days seem longer and longer, the weeks seem longer and longer, and that you remember more and more and more. But God didn't make us that way. God made us the other way around. And, and they're going by so quickly. Why? Why did he make us like that? I know it's very difficult to talk to a young person, but young people need to know about that, need to think about that. They are going to go by more quickly. It's because the sovereign God has made us that way. He's made our minds to work that way. Maybe you've got 70 or 80, we don't know. We, we, don't, know, we don't know how much is left in the bottle. Look further. These years pass by, and then verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? It's a question, but it's a rhetorical question. It's a rhetorical question. Who fears God enough? You want to raise your hand? Who fears God enough? It's a rhetorical question. No one does. No one does. But then he gets to the so what. Now he gets to the application. Now he finally gets to the title. Now he gets to the place where he starts the prayer in, in verse 12. So Moses depends, and that's the, the heart of prayer, depending on God. Moses depends on the character of God. I know I've said character all the way through, and I, I said, you know, the psalm can really just testify only of that, of the very character of God. But it's tied together in declaring his character, in, in, in describing his character in relationship to mankind. And as he depends upon it, we're not leaving the character of God behind, but actually adding more to it when he says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And what I want you to see is just a couple of things here. First of all, the pliability of the heart. Teach us. Where is your heart today? Where is your heart today? Oh God, teach us. Teach me. I want to know you. And that's the second part. I want to have a pliable heart that you teach me, but what do I want you to teach me? Well, I want to get that heart of wisdom. There's no question about that. But in my opinion, in the context of the psalm, it is a heart of wisdom. The center of that is the very character of God. I want to know God. I want to know him in his omniscience that we've seen. I want to know him in his sovereignty that we've seen. I want to know him in his eternality that we have seen. I want to know him even in his justice and in his wrath. 
Because indeed he was just to do with Moses what he did with Moses because Moses disobeyed and had a heart of unbelief. God's justice is there. But when I ask God to give me a heart to teach me to number my days that I might have a heart. I want to have that heart filled with the character of God. It is interesting. It says a heart of wisdom. Do you know the most pronounced that is as far as quantifiable pronounced character in, in scripture of God? It's his wisdom. It's his wisdom. Give me a heart of wisdom. We must press on. When will you do this, God? Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Then comes a part in the prayer that just blows my mind. It's a little difficult for me to describe, but thus far, I see not only describing his character, but thus far, even in the prayer, Moses is trying to say, help us in this way, but almost to the extent of saying, get us back to square one. Get us, get us back to where we're on, on solid ground. But Moses, and this is another reason why I'm just fascinated by those intimate conversations that he has, is because after this man has testified of the character of God, even the anger of God and knowing the secret sins and all the dark stuff, he turns around and he says, make me glad. Show me grace. Satisfy me. And I, I don't know whether you can follow me here right now, but when I'm under the cloud of judgment and I'm shrinking back from the holiness of God and trying to find that place to hide is, is my character and nature. To stand right up and say, and by the way, I'd like you to make me happy. I'd like to satisfy, I'd like you. And that's what Moses does. Why? Because it is the glory and character of God to do it. He has not left the pronouncement of his character. God, do what you do. You are from everlasting to everlasting God, so be God, because you delight in satisfying. You delight in giving grace. You delight in giving favor. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many, day, as many days as we were afflicted and as many years as we've seen, as much as the bad stuff that we've seen, show us you and all your glory and your grace and your kindness. Do that. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. You see that? There it is. There it is. I'm back in that scene. Moses saying, God, don't destroy all them. I don't even need to be... Moses is always thinking of the character of God. In that moment, God, you wipe these people out here and all the nations of the world are going to think that you're an evil God, that you'd just bring people out into the wilderness to kill them out there. Don't, I care about your character. So let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Show yourself. And if that's not enough, 
Let the favor, the grace of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Almost contrary to those four metaphors. We're quick like this. We fade away like that. We're nothing like this. We're nothing like that. Now, establish us. As if to put an exclamation mark on it, establish us. I'm reminiscent of Steve Lawson preaching to the students at Southern Seminary on Psalm 90. And in, in that psalm, uh, excuse me, in that sermon, he recounted Jonathan Edwards, some of Jonathan Edwards' resolutions. Jonathan Edwards, a, a pastor, a missionary, a president of Princeton Seminary, one of, if not the greatest intellectual theological minds that America has ever seen, wrote some resolution. He resolved to be a certain way before God. And um, he, he writes, Aware that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do pray that by His grace, He will enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are in line with his will and that they honor Christ. Listen to some of them very quickly. Seven of them. Number one, I will do whatever I think will be most to God's glory and my own good, profit and pleasure, for as long as I live. I will do all these things without any consideration of the time they take. Resolve to do whatever I understand to be my duty and will provide the most good and benefit to mankind in general. Resolve to do this, whatever difficulties I encounter. And no matter how many I experience or severe they may be. Number two, I will continually endeavor to find new ways to practice and promote the things of number one. Uh, I resolve in number three, if ever, really whenever, I fail and fall and or grow weary and dull. Whenever I begin to neglect the keeping of any part of these resolutions... I will repent of everything I can remember that I have violated or neglected as soon as they come to my senses again. Number four, never to do anything, whether physically or spiritually, except what glorifies God. In fact, I resolve not only to this commitment, but I resolve not even to grieve and gripe about these things if I can avoid it. Number five, never lose one moment of time, but seize the time to use it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Number six, to live with all my might while I do live. And number seven, never to do anything which I would be afraid of do if it were the last hour of my life. Wow. That's a pretty high bar. Oh, I forgot to mention. Edwards was a teenager when he wrote those. A teenager when he wrote those resolutions. It's a silly illustration. But how much is left for you? How much is left in the bottle? The truth is you don't know. But you, you could be a teenager in the room today. And you say, well, it's long. You could be a senior adult. You could be somebody watching by way of video because the days are so short, you can't even come here. You don't know that. We don't know that. So the prayer is this. Wherever you are, teach us to number those days 
to value those, that we might receive a heart of wisdom, that we might know God. I implore you today to know God. If, if you don't know him, talk to someone who does know. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to know the Lord Jesus, that you might value every moment of every day that you have. You might treasure it, that he would immediately begin to give you that heart of wisdom to know him. For Paul says in Philippians, there's nothing more valuable than to know Christ. Pray with me, would you? Father, I thank you for this psalm that we sit under, that we labor under, that we should remain under, that we should meditate on both day and night, that we should understand and pursue that heart of wisdom, that character that you have, that we would know you. For indeed, for a moment, we have been enabled to speak with you face to face. Now I pray, make it so. Make it so for your glory. Satisfy us in the morning. Show us the favor. Establish the work of our hands that the world would see how you take sinners and you bless and you give life eternal. In Jesus' name, amen.